How many people want to fall in love with Jesus again? Amen. You know, in your marriages, it's the same way. You can go through the motions, and, and you might be uh, legally uh, married. You might be married by routine and tradition, but something else to be falling in love over and over again. And I want to talk to you this morning about the timeless testament of Ruth. We're going to talk about the blessing of the righteous, or really how you and I have been purchased out of poverty. Uh, and maybe... You know, I think sometimes we miss out on the overwhelming love of God. I know that we can sing the song Amazing Grace and we can sing these songs, but I think sometimes we, we, we need a little bit of a reminder, need a little bit of an awakening, need a little bit of a reminder. Am I pursuing the overwhelming love of God? Maybe I'm going through this Christian life missing out on how awesome God's love is towards me. Maybe that's the reason I'm not joyful, I'm not overcoming, is because really I just don't understand how much God's love really is uh, given towards me. Uh, So maybe today you're feeling a little empty. Maybe today you feel like you're a little bit of an outsider uh, and you're hungry for somewhere to belong. Or maybe you've known God for many years, uh, but you're going through a circumstance that's causing you to ask, uh, why God? Why me? Why now? Why am I going through this? Why do I feel this way? Lord, I've done everything right, so why is this happening? I think so many times, and as, as Christians, uh, we live in a world of gray. We live in a world that is, is kind of blah, uh, that you have to uh, do your own efforts. You have to do something to excite yourself. You have to do something and, and buy something to please yourself. You have to go through all these things to work to live a happy life. Uh, and life continually just drains you. It's famishing. It's, it makes you hungry. It makes you desperate. It makes you dry. And spiritually, uh, in this world of gray, things just to kind of be a little bit of grim. And so we're finding that in the story of Ruth. And we're going to ask ourselves, how do you respond in barren times? I don't know about you, but there have been a lot of times in my life where I've just been spiritually dry. Just spiritually kind of there. Going through the gray. It's not great. It's not bad. I'm just kind of existing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A lot of times, a lot of my Christian life ultimately has been that way. I'm not always on the mountaintops. I'm not always in the valley, but I'm just kind of there. Uh, And I want to get to that moment where I'm just passionate about God again, just to pursue his overwhelming love and just be, oh my gosh, my God is amazing, you know? Uh, And so the Christian life, it's not easy. In fact, we know that Christ promises hardships. He promises persecution. But the question I want to get to today is what makes the difference between those who live a full life and those who live a famished life? What is the difference between those who live a full life or those who live a famished life? Always hungry for something to fill that. I'm looking for something to fill that. Or those who are just satisfied in the presence of God. And I'm finding in this story today that those that make the difference between a full life and a famished life are those who are returning to a passionate pursuit of God's love. How many people want a passionate pursuit of God's love? Psalms 91 says that God will rescue you from every trap. He'll protect you from every deadly disease. He'll cover you with His feathers. He'll shelter you with His wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. That's for those who are passionately pursuing the love of God. Amen? Amen. Look with me in the book of Ruth today. We're just going to go through the story of Ruth and ask ourselves, how satisfied am I in the pursuit of the love of Christ? And is His love enough for me in the most famished, barren times? 
In Ruth chapter 1, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 5 and we get us there. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Let's talk about the grim and the gray. The grim and the gray. And it comes about in the last days when the judges govern that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn. Note that word, sojourn. It's a temporary word. In the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And immediately after reading this word, I want to sing the Lion King song, Awimboe. All right? But Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were uh, Malon and Kilion, and they were uh, Epaphrodites in the Bethlehem and Judah. And they entered the land of Moab and remained there, and Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And the sons, they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. And the name of the one son was Orpha, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years, and both Mahon and Kilion died. And the, woman, uh, the women were their barrette of her two children and her two husbands, Naomi. So idolatry, we're in the book of Judges. If you know anything about the book of Judges, man, these people were jacked up. They just were all about doing everything their own way and didn't know anything about God. And, and that God would raise up a judge every now and then. But man, famine and enemies and all kinds of stuff happened. And so chances are people in Israel have turned away from God. And the Bible says that there is a famine in the land. And Bethlehem is called, uh, the name Bethlehem means the house of bread. And what we find is that the house of bread has dried up. There is no bread in the house of bread, okay? And so this family decides, well, here's the choice. We can either stay here in the promised land where God has called us to be, and this, is the, this, this land is more than just a piece of property. It represents our inheritance. It represents the promise of God. It represents where God has struggled for uh, hundreds of years to get us to what we've prayed for. The answer to our prayer is this land. This is the legacy of faith. This is what Moses and all those people died to get us to this place. And this place, Bethlehem, will know later on has... Uh, as a place where David, the king, is going to be born. They don't know that, but this is this God-established place. So they're in a God-established place called the house of bread, but because of immorality and idolatry, there is nothing of substance here. And so they have the choice. Do we stay where God has brought us, or do we try to find some substance somewhere else? Neither did they know what, what should we do. Do we have a famine, or do we have faith? Do we stay where God has called us to and struggle through this moment and rely on God? Or do we find the easy way out a little bit? And it wasn't an easy thing to move to another country. I had to leave uh, my land. My, somebody could take my property. I might be leaving my inheritance. I might be leaving my place and the people of God. So they would go across to the land of Moab, which is just across the way, across the Jordan, across the Dead Sea, uh, to the land of Moab. Now, Moab and Israel didn't always get along, but in this day, apparently it wasn't so bad. Uh, and so what happens there, the husband temporarily says, we're just going to do this for a little bit. I'm not planning on leaving the promised land forever, just for a little bit. And when it gets better and God gives bread again, I'll go back. All right. And so he has a plan, no plans to, to stay there. But guess what? In the land of the, gray, of the gray, things can get a little bit of grim. He ends up dying before ever giving them to come back. And then when he dies, his sons they're not in the land of faith. They're not in the land of the house of bread. And so they marry pagan women because that's where they are. So they worry, marry Moabite women, Moabite women. Well, that was a land of gray too because the Bible never did specifically say don't marry Moabite women. But it did list a long other uh, uh, people of Canaan. It says don't marry this tribe, this tribe, the Hittites, the, Levi, the Amorites. Don't list all, don't marry any of these. But you kind of got the spirit of the law. It really meant marry only Israelites. But it didn't specifically list 
Moabite women. Don't we know? Sometimes we like to find the loopholes in the system. And so these two young men marry Moabite women. Probably not in the will of God. And uh, ancient uh, 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 Jewish scholars say that because of their lack of faith, because of their leaving of the promised land, because of their compromise in a world of gray to marry women not in the plan of God, that God took their life from them early. And not only that, he never allowed them to have children. So in 10 years, they had been living there. They never had kids. And that was kind of a curse uh, in ancient culture. So here we have a group of people who are now living their 10 years not under the blessing of God. Why? Because they've left the house of bread. Don't you know, sometimes this is how it is in our life. When, and sometimes God leads us through a place, and sometimes we can either, we're finding our place in a land of famish, and we're, we're hungry, we're desperate for something from God, and we turn and we say, God, why in the world is it not be, am I not being fed in my life? Why in the world am I not happy in my marriage? Why am I not doing well? I don't feel good. I don't have peace. I don't have joy. I just don't feel the zealousness of God. And instead of turning to ourselves and saying, maybe the problem is me. Maybe the problem is the environment that I'm in, that I'm not saturating my life with prayer and praise and the Word of God. I'm not seeking God. And don't you know that if Israel had cried out to God and said, God, we're hungry for you. We know that there is no bread, but the real bread we need, like Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. If they would have turned to God, God would have healed their land. But instead of taking that road, because you know prayer is hard. Seeking God is hard. It's not easy. Doesn't, and a lot of times when you, wanna, when you don't want to pray, that's the time you should pray the most, right? I don't feel like going to church. Well, that's when you should really go to church the most. That's when you don't feel like reading your Bible. That's exactly the moment you should read your Bible. That's exactly the moment you should pray. And so they leave this famine and they go without faith to the land of Moab. It's this world of gray. Do we stay? Do we starve? Do we starve? Do we move and try to survive? You can compromise it. Don't you know that Abraham went to Egypt? Abraham left the promised land. Isaac left the promised land. It doesn't specifically say, don't marry Moabite women. And we can begin to find all the compromises in our Christian society today. But the Spirit of God was drawing them back. Was drawing them back. I don't want to die in a world of gray. I don't want to get so compromised in my Christian life that I left the famine that God was trying to grow me through and pursue Him through. And I go over here and I compromise in a nominal Christian world where I can pray a little. I can go to church a little. I can go to church a little. I can read my Bible a little. And guess what? You're going to die spiritually. You're going to die spiritually. Perhaps the famine that's in your life today, that hunger that's in your life today, is sent by God to remind you to passionately pursue Him. But you have a choice today to take an easy way out. You can go to normal American Christianity and saturate yourself with compromise and saturate yourself in a world of gray. You can watch all the rated R movies you want. You can cuss a little bit. You can gamble a little bit. You can drink a little bit. You can kind of get away with a few little sins. God loves you. You're still a, you got the Christian t-shirt. You're still a member at your local church. Your Bible is still there. You are a Christian. You're not serving Buddha or Hindu or, you know, Muhammad. You're, you know, I believe in Jesus. Or you can get to a place of desperation today and say, God, 
This, I'm not satisfied with my Christian life. I'm not satisfied. I don't see the signs and wonders. I don't feel the passion. I don't have the power to see you working in my life. I don't have, I'm not where I want to be. And so God, because there's a famine in my country today, I'm going to get on my knees in faith. I'm going to passionately pursue you until you send bread from heaven. Somebody with me this morning. Amen. And so that's where they find they died in a world of gray. Gray only leads to grim, the grim. Are you with me this morning? Warren Wiersbe says, It's better to starve in the will of God than to eat the enemy's bread. It would have been better to starve in God's house of bread than to go eat the enemy's bread in Moab. Sometimes the Bible says that God humbles us to hunger for him. He wants to know, are you desperate for my love? Are you desperate for my presence? Are you just satisfied with going through your Christian life with all the compromises that America throws at us? Are we desperate? They didn't take care of the house of bread, so they fled. There may be a reason today our life is not working. It's maybe that we don't keep up our prayer life. We're not looking We've been looking for supply in all the other places like entertainment and possessions and other relationships. But maybe God is humbling us to hunger today in America. Maybe we've left where God has called us to be. Maybe we've forsaken the glory of God for the gray. But where is our sustenance? Where does our help come from? Amen. Let's talk about the love of the righteous. The love of the righteous... Naomi had lost everything, and so she decides to move from Moab. You know what? When life gets tough and it's not working so much in the enemy, what do we happen? Oh, man, we tried everything in the world. It didn't work out. So what happens? Oh, I'm coming back to God now. I'm coming back to God now. So Naomi decides to move from Moab. She has these two uh, young daughters-in-law, and they're 10 years in their marriage. Their husbands have died, no kids. And so she knows, I'm about to take the role of a widow. I'm about to move back to my country with nothing. I had, and, the, and the life of a widow was not one on Social Security or Medicare. It was one that you lived in poverty. You lived from the hand of God. You didn't know where your next meal was coming from or had a house. And so she's going back to her old establishment. She's going to dust off the cobwebs in this house. It's probably run down, may not even have uh, things working anymore. There's no team of servants. There's no cows anymore. Everything is gone. She's going back to a place of abandonment. She's leaving it all to go back to God's place, back to the house of bread, because she knows that God may provide for her there. And these two young pagan daughters-in-law have lived with her for 10 years, and she tells them, ladies, young daughters, it's not going to be easy with me. I don't have any other sons for you to marry, and there's no promise. If a widow's life is nothing that you want to take on in this culture. You need to go back to your mom and dad's house, go back to your father's, and you need to go remarry, because you're still young. Maybe they were in their 20s, early 30s. I don't know. And you need to go back to your father's house. And maybe it'll be good for you there. But here's what we find in Ruth chapter 1, verse 15. Then Naomi said to behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. She's talking to Ruth and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Don't you know that's a great daughter-in-law, parents? Thus may, be the, may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. 
Ruth knows what she's signing up for. She knows this is insanity. I'm signing up for a life of poverty. I'm giving up all my prospects of the future. I don't know. Naomi and Ruth both knew as a foreigner coming back to Israel that she would not be in the covenant. She would not have the law on her side. There would no guarantee of a future husband in her life. She was saying, I'm giving up all. Because why? Why would she give up all? Why would she do this insane thing? Because the Bible says she loved her. She clung to Naomi. Why? Maybe perhaps in the 10 years of getting to know her, Ruth began to understand and see something in Naomi. Now, even though they had left for God, they were godly women. They they come out from a covenant of God. They come out from the people of God. And maybe she compared Naomi and how she was as a mom to the mom she had growing up, a pagan mom. Maybe Ruth didn't have a mom. Maybe she saw some sense of warmth and, and love and godliness in this family over this 10 years. And she saw something inside of them that she said, I want that for my life. There's something that I didn't grow up with that I've never seen before in my people. And so I love you and how the love that you've had towards me these 10 years. And so I'm giving up everything. I'm giving up my, my plans, my prospects. I'm giving up uh, my, the pleasures of this life for poverty. And I will go where you go even if it means no rest for me. Where you go, I go. Your God shall be my God. What a picture of following Jesus Christ. The life of Christ doesn't make any sense. The Bible says you can expect poverty, you can expect trials and tribulations. It's not a life of ease. There's no guarantee of any goodness uh, in this earth. But why would anyone do something so radical as giving up their family, as giving up their nationhood, their citizenship, giving up their jobs, giving up their property, giving up the future relationships they could have, selling out everything? Why? For love. I wonder in my life, do I love Jesus Christ so much? Let's get real this morning. If Jesus Christ said, give up your United States citizenship and go move to another country... How many of us love him enough to do that? If he said, sell your home and come follow me like he did literally to the disciples, how many of us would literally love him that much to do that? Or if he said, give up your culture, give up the way you like food, give up Cajun food, how many people could do that? Give up catfish the rest of your life. There's a couple of us northerners who could do that, right? Uh, Give up all this stuff. Give up the way you talk, give up the way you dress. This is the call. This is how radical it is to be a Christian, church. You have no nation but the nation under God. That's the church. There is nothing. There's only one kingdom and one king. There's only one God, our God. And Christ is calling us, and it's irrational. It's a promise of hardship and nothing much else. It's a promise of trouble and not riches. But here's the deal. Ruth did not enter this agreement. Because she thought all of her needs would be met. I don't, you don't enter Christianity today because you think God's going to bless you with a mansion and house in heaven. You don't enter Christianity today because you think your life is going to be a bunch of roses and it's all going to be good and God's going to provide for you money in the mailbox. You don't enter the Christian life today because you think you're going to feel good all the time and people are going to love you and it's just going to be this wonderful uh, emotional high. We enter Christianity with this irrational decision because we've seen something in Jesus Christ. 
And it says that she clung to him. And it's that because we cling to Christ, we say, I can't live without you. I can't go anywhere without you. I can't let you go because of what I've seen and what I've heard and what I've experienced. I don't care where you go, what you say, where you, where you take me. I go where you go. My God, you are my God. Are we at that place of Ruth was desperate for love? Are we desperate for the love of God today? That I would say, God, I forsake all. She forsook her mom, her dad. She forsook her future husband. God, if you don't want to get married, if I don't, I'm not supposed to get married, then, then I'm not supposed to get married. How many young people would say that today? God, I'll give up my future marriage. I'll give up my prospect. I'll give up my career. Because your love is most important to me. Because once you've tasted of the love of Christ for real, you know you can't live without it. And that was the love of the righteous. Ruth loved Naomi like we should love Christ. She clung to Naomi like we should cling to Christ. It should be like that prostitute that wept at Jesus' feet that she loved so much because she had been forgiven much. Or we can say with Paul today that Paul said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Or one translation would say the surpassing value of just knowing him. It's just knowing him is worth giving up everything. Do I, be, I mean, do I really believe that? Do I just like, no, it's good to go to church. No, it's good to read the Bible. It's good to pray. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to, to give my tithes. No, 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 no. That has nothing to do with Jesus. That's all good. But do you have a worth, a value that says, my God, I love you so much that I give up all this stuff. Just to be near you. I'd go out on a limb and say, most Christians don't understand that. And I've been in this thing a a long time, grew up in this stuff. I know how to do church. I know how to do Christianity. But if I could just say the the times in my life where I just really felt like, man, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, and that's enough. Do Do we live there? Do we just stay there and say, yeah. It's not about getting blessed. He could never bless me again. He could never provide for me again. He could never do anything but just being with him. That's enough. Do you have that relationship with Jesus? Man. So what does God do with with Ruth? So she's got this love, right? And so now let's talk about the favor that God gives her, favor of the righteous. So they return by faith. So Ruth enters this relationship by faith. She doesn't know what's going to happen. It's by faith. She enters and she leaves her home by faith. She moves to that place of God. And she arrives at harvest time. And uh, Ruth asks Naomi, she said, Hey, can I go glean in the fields after the reapers? And God in His sovereignty begins to direct Ruth to this certain field. Now, what is a gleaning? Let me give you some historical background, right? Gleaning, we're talking about the barley and wheat, okay? So think about wheat. Um, Gleaning is where back in the day before combines and tractors and all that, they would either cut it or pull it out by the roots. And these women called the reapers uh, would begin to bundle up this wheat, you know, the, a tall stick of wheat, uh, and, into sheaves, into bundles. And they put it on their back and they would take it to uh, the threshing floor, which is on like a hill, a flat piece of, uh, of area of the hill. 
And sometimes along the way, they would drop some pieces or some grain or some wheat would fall down, and they, they uh, would move on because you're trying to get a, a whole bunch of it. Well, the Bible said in the law that you were to leave the edges of your field for the poor so they could eat because they didn't have Social Security, didn't have Medicare, didn't have Red Cross, right? So God cared for the poor. God's gracious. He said, leave the areas of your land, the edges of your land for the poor to collect. And if you drop some grain, don't pick it back up. The poor can come back and clear it all out, and they can have some food. God had a heart for the poor, the stranger, the outcast, the widow. That's what he provided for in his law. Now, you know, just like I do, that a lot of people in a lot of days, uh, like in America today, try to manipulate the system. Not everybody's as poor as they say they are, and some people would manipulate the system. So what you'd have is some landowners, they got a little bit picky about who would come on their field and how close you got to the reapers. Because you'd be taking things that... I dropped it, and oh my gosh, you know, they're already pulling it up. So they said, some landowners didn't like it, and they pushed you out, and they'd even chase you out, and, and they were mean and some rudeness, because, no, on both sides, we have these issues, even today. But God was gracious, God was compassionate, and God was watching over these widows. And so Boaz, she finds this field of a man named Boaz, and he's this wealthy, righteous, older man, and little did Ruth know that Boaz was related to her, the family of Naomi, Naomi's husband. And so she begins to glean, and she begins to pick up the wheat as a poor person, as a widow would do, and come up behind the reapers. And she's almost pushing the limits, in a sense. But, man, they notice that she's hardworking, she's faithful, she's working all day long. Because why? She's working for love. She's not working for herself, she's working for her mother-in-law, Naomi, and they begin to hear, and they said, that is that stranger, that outcast woman, that Moabite woman, that pagan woman. We see her love for a woman of God, Naomi. We see how she left all, and they let her get closer and closer. And they even let her rest in the shade of their tent. And Boaz shows up, and he says, well, who is this woman? Why is she here? Why are you let her so close into this? Why is she under our tent? And they said, well, that's that woman who came with Naomi. And he said, oh, my gosh, that's, I've heard about her. I know that story. I'm inspired by that story. I am amazed at her love for Naomi. And so he goes to Ruth, and he tells her, he says, I've heard about your love and your faithfulness. I'm telling you, don't glean in any other field because there's a risk there to go to another field. I'm commanding you, come under my field. I'm going to command my servants to watch out for you. You can drink from my own jars, eat and drink with my servants. And Ruth falls on the ground. She's humbled by this grace. She says, what have I done to deserve this? He says, it's because of your love and your faithfulness to Naomi. And he tells her, he kind of prophesies over her. He says, Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. Look at that. Ruth 2, verse 12. He says, may the Lord reward your work and your wages be full. Everybody say full. Now, this is a girl who's famished now. May your wages be full from who? The Lord. Not anybody of your own efforts, but from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings, that's going to be very important, remember this right here, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. She's humbled. But one thing that was happening right here is that God was watching out for this woman of faith who had forsaken all to follow someone into the people, the plan of God, and it says that God was going to wrap her in his wings. She was going to come under the shelter of the Almighty, what we read in Psalms 91, that she was going to find refuge because she was pursuing love, which she saw of God through Naomi, and she had left all by faith 
And that God, in response to her faith, in response to her love, was going to grant her favor. He was going to grant her favor. You see, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, he says this, this, is, this is the thing. That night, let me pause on that. That night, Boaz welcomes her to eat with his servants. He instructs his servants to leave behind some even extra grain for her. And the Bible says that Ruth was left... Uh, with maybe even 22 to 35 liters of barley. The, the ancient measuring is a little bit different than what we use today. But the simple issue is this. She comes famished, and she leaves with a feast. She comes famished, and because of the grace of Boaz, which is in response to the faith that she had, she went from feast or famine to feast. She left with liters upon liters. Think about a two liter. How many two liters could you carry? Liters upon liters of grain. She was supposed to come out of there with just some handfuls. But because of the grace of God through Boaz in response to her faith to follow Ruth by love, that the Bible says, here comes this outcast is now made and now covered under the wings of God. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, says that, remember, you and I at one time were separate from Christ. We were aliens, outcasts, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers to the covenant of promise. We had no hope and without God in this world. But now, but now, Christ Jesus, whom you were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. What does that mean for you and I today? That we, like Ruth, we were outcasts. We were strangers. We had no hope in the plan of God. But when you respond to the love of Jesus Christ, when you cling to Christ, you say, God, I'm giving up my family, my home, my nationhood, my culture, my wealth, I will follow you even into poverty and persecution because I don't care about being blessed. I just want to be where you are. And we, out of that love, we begin to follow him by faith. The Bible says that Christ, even though you were alien and you were a stranger, he makes you one with his people. He becomes the peace in your life that you need. He becomes the feasting in your famine. He satisfies the hunger of every outcast who will cling to him. We get refuge because of the grace of God. We are saved by grace, but it's through our faith. And that faith is a stepping place where we are saying, God, I'm responding not to blessing. I'm not responding to prosperity. I'm not responding because I'm going to get something in heaven. I'm responding to the love of God because, Jesus, you're all I need. You, I want to be where you are. doesn't matter what the cost. doesn't matter what despair I go through or loss or anything, God. And God says, I see your love for me. I noticed from heaven your love for me that you will follow me wherever and I will shelter you under my wings. I will bring you near to me. I'll give you an identity in my people. Somebody say amen. amen. That is your story. That is my story. And I should be overwhelmed at that verse. I should be ecstatic at that verse that me who was far off has now been brought near. That me who had no covering now has the covering of Almighty God. Think about it, church. Think about it. I want to feast in my famine. Refuge under His wings. That's the favor that God gives the righteous. 
Ruth didn't deserve it. She didn't earn it. But God was responding in grace to the faith he saw in her love for Naomi. She didn't deserve it, and she didn't earn it. But God responded with favor. So she went from the love of the righteous, and then we see the favor of the righteous. Now let's talk about the redemption of the righteous. Ruth hadn't even begun to say, see the favor of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, you ain't seen nothing yet. She hadn't seen nothing yet. Naomi discovers that it was Boaz. I'm going to hurry up. Naomi discovers it was Boaz, and she says, hey, Boaz, there's, I've noticed this, this guy kind of has a, maybe he has a thing for you. I don't know. He likes you. He's been really gracious towards you. You didn't have to be. And actually, I, I kind of figured out Boaz is kind of related to us, and he's, he's perhaps one of our kinsmen redeemers. All right? So what's a kinsman redeemer? The law declared that if a widow, uh, a woman was made a widow and her husband died, that the brother-in-law of the husband, okay, follow me, the brother-in-law of the husband was responsible to marry her and then have children with her. And those children would be called by the brother's name and inherit the brother's property because the property was very important. It was a sign of God's covenant. We don't want any property to be lost and given over to pagans. We want that name of that man to continue from generations. And this is a big deal. I mean, I don't know about you, but that'd be an investment that you would lose on, right? I will buy the land. I will marry this woman, but the kids don't take my name, and the kids take away the property I just bought, and they're going to put it under their dad's name who died, right? That's a loss. Am I, you, know what I'm talking, you know what I'm talking about? Not to mention... It could complicate your family a little bit, right? Okay? And so it really wasn't something that people wanted to do. Let's just be honest. Nobody in the right mind would really want to do that. And so it was kind of like it, it happened. It was a law, but it was one of those gray areas. You know what I'm saying? It was a gray area. And not to mention, in this case, if there wasn't a brother-in-law, it kind of just got left open to the family to take it upon themselves in order of closeness, whether or not they wanted to do this or not. It wasn't really required, but kind of like, yeah, you really should. This is the right thing to do. God really wants you to do this, but we're not going to make you because you're not really the brother-in-law. Okay, you know what I'm saying? There's some rules there that it's kind of great. So Naomi says, he's, he's in line. He's in one of our family members. Let's see where this goes. And so she tells Ruth, she says, I want you to uh, wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on your best clothes, and go to the threshing floor tonight, uh, and I'll tell you kind of what to do. You're going to lay at his feet, you're going to uncover his feet, and he will tell you what to do after that. Now, that kind of sounds weird for us, but let me tell you what was going on. Threshing floor is this. In ancient cultures, after you'd cut the harvest all in, you cut all the sheaves, and you brought them all there, the threshing floor was this flat place where sometimes they would take a donkey uh, with a, a flat piece of wood or a millstone, and they would begin to crush the grain in the circle. Uh, the wheat. Uh, as you begin to crush it, it would separate the wheat from the chaff, the good, good kernels that you want uh, to make bread with or whatever, uh, and then the other stuff. And once it was kind of all crushed and ground down, they would take a shovel, and they did it often at nighttime because that was when the wind blew in Palestine, and they would shovel it up in the air, and the wheat being heavy would fall, and the other little parts would kind of blow over, all right? And then they'd collect that and separate it some more, all right? And that's what was happening. And this was something very expensive, done in mass, a big, big pile now, so something the master would stand guard on all night long, sleep even on the grain to protect it from thieves and robbers. So they worked all day, and he would sleep there that night guarding his grain, and because this is an investment, this is livelihood, so he'd be the one to really do it, all right? So she tells Ruth, 
go there after he's eaten and, and, and had a good time and, and he's relaxed, he's tired from the day, he's going to lay on his grain. You go there and lay at his feet, lay crosswise at his feet. That was a position often reserved for servants, close servants. And in ancient cultures, sometimes uh, at night they would have a, a big blanket on and at the bottom of the blanket, you know, a blanket rolls over the bed, that blanket would roll over into some of the servants and they could kind of be under the master's wings. You following me? Okay. They would be under the master's protection, under the master's covering. So look in with me, Ruth chapter 3, verse 8. So in the middle of the night, that man was startled, Boaz, and he bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet, and he said, Who are you? Then that be creepy. In the middle of your night, you find another lady in your bed. Husbands, that is a bad time for you, right? Uh, and, and so this is outside. Everybody's fully dressed and all this kind of stuff. So she answers. She says, I'm Ruth, your maid. She took the position of a servant. Spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. And then he said, May you be blessed my, uh, of my Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first, but not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. So he sends her away, uh, and because you know, it wasn't her place right then. But what she had basically done is made a suggestion saying, hey, I'm interested if you are, all right? And so I would like to come under your covering. I'd like to come under your protection. I'm interested. And so it was kind of the courtship thing, not in an inappropriate sexual way. It was culturally appropriate just to say, hey, I would willing to be a servant in your house. I'm willing to come under your protection, your covering. And Boaz sees this, that she could have gone after another guy. She's a young, he's a little older, and she's pursuing righteousness by faith. She's pursuing something godly, not going after the things of this world, not going back. It could have got hard. She could have went back to mom and dad. She could have gave up on her covenant of her promise to pursue something godly in her life, but she didn't. She stuck with it. And she said, I'm choosing this life. I'm choosing this God. I want a righteous man in my life who's going to be a husband, not just some guy I'm checking up with, but he's going to be a man of God. And so I'm pursuing him by faith. And he responds to that faith and that pursuit. And he says, I'm going to go secure this. So he goes out. And meanwhile, on the way to the next morning to go pursue uh, her dowry her her legal right to be married he says i'm going to give you something in the meanwhile he comes over to her he measures six uh six measures of barley which may have been about 15 gallons in her coat put 15 gallons of grain in her coat and she went on and had another feast again don't you know don't you know god provides your needs in the meanwhile Before God secures that answer to prayer, you've been praying for an answer to prayer. You've been praying for something to happen in your life. Guess what? God's not just on the road going to to answer your prayer. In the meanwhile, he's meeting your need. He's meeting your needs in the meanwhile. He didn't leave her empty-handed. He went on. He secured. He goes to the nearest relative, and the nearest relative said, Man, that woman is a risk. I don't think it can work in my family, not to mention I don't want to complicate my life. And so she's not desirable for me. And so he secures the right to marry Ruth. Wasn't even his right. Wasn't, he wasn't even next in line. And so, and it wasn't even a requirement under the law for Boaz to do it, but he pursued Ruth because he saw her pursuing him. Follow me, church. God is in the interest of pursuing those who are pursuing him. He is in the interest of pursuing those who are responding to his love by faith. And on the road, the Bible says that just like Boaz went to secure her 
a marriage, her rights to be married to him. The Bible says that Jesus came down to earth pursuing those who would be pursuing him by faith, that he died on a cross, gained the rights of death and sin over us, and that he went to prepare a place for a wedding. But in the meanwhile, what did he give us? Something to get by with. You are not left without nothing in this world today. There is coming a day where Jesus Christ, He's already purchased your rights of redemption, and He's on His way back to get you. But meanwhile, you still got 15 gallons of barley in your coat. You are full of the Holy Spirit. He's given you His Word. You're not left with nothing. You've already been purchased. Amen? You see that? Why? Because He had already said, I'm going to cover you with my wings. He covered her with his wings. You are sheltered under the wings of Almighty God today. Church, you've been purchased out of poverty. You understand? Your position may not change yet. You say, I, I don't feel like a king or a prince or a daughter of Most High God. I'm still kind of wearing the garments of poverty. I'm still going through the motion. I'm not really feasting yet. I'm not really, Ruth hadn't yet got the home. She hadn't yet got the servants underneath her. But on that night, guess what? When he left, he made a a covenant with her. I'm going to do everything I can to secure your redemption because you're a righteous woman. God has secured your redemption in Jesus Christ. I don't care if you're still wearing the clothes of poverty. You feel a little famous. Your position hasn't changed in this world. You're not everything you thought you were going to be. But guess what? God has not left you empty-handed. In the meanwhile... In the meanwhile, he's returning. You've got something to get by. Amen? I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today. The best thing about this whole story is not that Ruth got some grain. It's not that Ruth got a guy that cared for her. The best part about this story is that this outcast woman who pursued the love of God by faith, The Bible says that she bore a son to Boaz, and that son's name was Obed. And Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot King David. Right? What does that mean? That God took a stranger and an outcast who did not deserve anything, who did not earn anything, who was not provided for under the law. Boaz did not have to marry this woman, but he did because he saw her pursuit of love By faith. You understand today? God is looking for somebody who's pursuing him and his love by faith. And he says, I'm going to take you even though you don't deserve it, even though you're a risk to me, even though I'm not going to get any gain. Christ did not get any gain by dying for you. Think about it. It was a loss. Boaz would take on Ruth, and Ruth's son would take on the name of her husband, and that land would not go to Boaz's accounts. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, it was a loss. You didn't deserve heaven. You deserved hell. We were outcasts, excluded. But thank God, by grace, He took a risk on me. He took something towards me. As I begin to pursue Him, He begins to pursue me. And today, God is looking for those like Ruth who would be pursuing Him by faith, who would be willing to be washed by the Word, who would be willing to be anointed by the Holy Spirit, clothed in righteousness, and find their place at the feet of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, cover me. 
Lord, cover me. I'm pursuing you. God, I don't care what it's got to do. I'm going to get to that place. I'm going to find myself laying at the feet of Christ because I know that he is the master of the house of bread. Come on, somebody. He's the master of the house of bread. I'm laying down at his feet. I want to be washed by the word, washed by the Holy Spirit. Say, God, cover me in your wings. I want to pursue that love. I want to be in a relationship with you. God, I know outside of you I have no prospects, no plans, no prosperity. God, I can't do anything on my own without you. I am famished i'm working my fingers to the bone but lord i know that in the meanwhile lord you have said jesus you're going to secure a relationship with me you're going to be marrying the bride of christ and lord you have sent me the holy spirit i'm not alone in the meanwhile great is your reward but your greatest reward is that you're joined with jesus christ it's not about heaven It's not about bread. It's not about prosperity. It's about I get to be with Jesus Christ. He is the greatest reward. Heaven's going to be great. But ain't nothing without Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me today? How valuable is the love of Christ? And how faithful is are you to pursue that love? You famished today? Have you wandered from the house of bread? Do you need shelter under his wings? So many today leaving the house of bread for a world of gray. Let's pursue love. Let's pursue love today. Let's fall in love with Jesus again. Let's be amazed at his love. Hallelujah, Lord God. Father God, we just come before you today, and we want to come with thanksgiving first. God, thank you, Lord, for adopting us in your covenant. Thank you, Lord, for saving us when we don't deserve it. Thank you, O God, Lord, for giving us something in the meanwhile. Lord, today maybe we are famished. Maybe today we are dry. Maybe today we haven't been praying, but we should be. Maybe today we haven't been reading your word, but we should be. We feel like we don't want to. We feel like we, we're, we, we've just been trying to feed ourselves with the world, just ignoring the real problem. The real problem is, God, you might have sent famine in our life to humble us to hunger, to move out of Moab and come back to a desperate place where we are longing and pursuing the love of Jesus Christ. Father, I know I'm there. Lord, I'll be the first to confess, God, I want to pursue your love with greater zealousness, with greater faith. Lord, I want to feast in the presence of God. I want to sit at your feet, O God. Lord, forgive us for being so full of entertainment, so full of hobbies, so full in our schedules that we don't pray, that we don't read our word. God, that we're not working in your vineyards but God, that we would just be a people that you would say, man, I see their love for me, how they pursue me by faith. I'm going to shelter them under my wings. I'm going to provide the measure they need in the meanwhile till I come back and bring them to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Church, what do you need? Mm. Church, what we need is Jesus Christ. We don't need more church services. We don't need more programs. 
We don't know no more entertainment. We don't need no more TV. We don't need no more anything, God. We just need Jesus Christ. Lord, let's strip away all the stuff that we just like to pretend we're doing okay. Let's strip away all the stuff that says, God, that, let's just strip away church. Let's strip away good everything religion shows us and just say, God, am I sitting at your feet? Am I satisfied in your love? Am I eating at your table? Or am I working it all on my own works, my own efforts? Am I trying to find answers in the other places? Or am I just go, go, go and just saying, God, I want to just feast. In the midst of a famine, I can feast at your feet, Lord God. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Worthy are you, Lord God. Holy are you. Say, just nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. You say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. God's speaking to me today. I just, I just want a deeper pursuit of God's love. I want to, I'm not satisfied with what I'm just eating today. I just know that maybe it's been dry in your life. Maybe you've been famished spiritually. You've just been trying to get by. But you say, I just need to return and get filled up at the table of Jesus today. You just lift your hand and say, that's me, Pastor Heath. Many hands all across this place. All across this place. Lord, we return to you today. Return to you today. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We return to you today pursuing your love by faith.